Good evening, kingdom. Let's start this thing off right. If you know that God is good all the time, let me hear you make some noise. All right, that's all right. All right, you guys may be seated. As pastor said, my name is Scott Williams. I bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, the city of Oklahoma City, home of the 2016 NBA champions, Oklahoma City Thunder. That wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, this is not the year of Steph Curry. You know what I'm saying? This is not that year. Uh, but seriously, I, I really believe that, that Durant and Westbrook are going to get it done this year. At least that's what we're praying for. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm not, my mic might be doing something. I might just flip it up in a minute. If it, that's on me. That's not, that's not y'all's mic. i got to try to bring my own. So we'll, uh, if not, we'll grab that handheld here in a second. But again, it's an honor and privilege to be able to be here. Just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm married. I have one wife. She's awesome. Uh, great, great. Um, her name is LaKendria, and she's white. You know she wasn't white with the name LaKendria, you know what I'm saying? Like, any time a name begins with La, Sha, Ba, Da, or Ta, you know they black, you know what I'm saying? Name begin like you speaking in tongues, Lush Up Butata. I'm just saying, like, just seriously, but uh, she's awesome. She's a bodybuilder. We have two boys, uh, Wesley and Jaden. They are 16 and 12. Love them. Just great kids. I was on staff at a church called LifeChurch.tv in Oklahoma City. It's actually the largest church in America. And I was on staff there for about six years. And about five years ago, we left and started this consulting company uh, called Next Level Solutions. And God has blessed us with the opportunity to go around and work with some of the largest churches and ministries all around the world. And what that means, I get opportunity to travel and meet great people, go to great places. Let me tell you, there is no pastors and no family that I love more than Pastor Steele. I'm telling you, Pastor Reginald and Kelly Steele are the real deal, real deal. Brother can preach. Everybody looks great. They are the whole family's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody looks great. I mean, the brothers, I mean, man of God, got that tone, low voice. Man, I mean, I just love the steals. I mean, what I love about them is that they are a family of faith. They're about faith. They're, I mean, the reason why you're in this building is because of faith. They are about family. Everything they do is about family. It's their family, and it's this family. You know what I'm saying? They're about focus. They're focusing on things that are much bigger than what we can see. They're focusing on what God has for them. And, and I'm just going with some F here in alliteration. The last thing is they're for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, authentic. What you see is what you get. That's what I love about them because you don't get that everywhere. I'm just here to tell you, you don't get that everywhere. So you not, might not get the opportunity to do this. Just give your, your pastor a hand clap and honor them for all that they do, who they are. Honor them. Come on now. I think they deserve better than that. Give them a hand clap. Give them a hand clap. Give them a hand clap. Love Pastor Reggie. I was, I was talking to him. As a matter of fact, he was, uh, you know, with everything going on with the election and stuff, we're having a conversation. It was about a month and a half ago, and he's just like, Man of God, he want to know, like, what's your position on the First Amendment? I'm like, you know what I'm saying, what do you think about free speech? I'm like, man, of course I believe in free speech. He said, well, I need you to come to Phoenix and give one. So I'm like, kind of how a brother finds himself in front of you tonight, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm just joking. I, uh, you have a very, very generous pastor. That's what I love about him. It's just, just, this church is just really, really awesome. You guys are so blessed. And sometimes you're so close to the tree that you can't see the whole forest. And as someone that works with CEOs of Fortune 500 uh, companies in the Silicon Valley to churches around the world, you guys are blessed with some of the most amazing leaders. So just don't ever take that for granted. Sometimes, again, you're so close to the tree, what you need to do is you need to step back and just realize that God is blessing what, what's happening right here at Kingdom Church. And so that's for real. 
And I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you tonight. And if you have your Bibles with you tonight, you can go ahead and open them up to Mark 10. You can actually open your Bibles up wherever you want to, no matter where you open up, it's all good. In my Bible, it's page 775. I'm not sure where it is in your Bible, but before we dive into God's word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray. God, speak to our hearts. Amen. Y'all thought it was going to be some long-winded prayer, you know what I'm saying? Just for the record, God listens to short prayers as well. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like, just real quick question, by a show of hands, how many of you guys have like a friend or family member who likes to pray really long prayers? By a show of hands, keep them up. All right, if you're not raising your hand, you are that friend or family member, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, brother just, brother just trying to cut the bird. You want to pray for Haiti? You want to pray for world peace? You know what I'm saying? We're just trying to eat. Brother's trying to eat, you know what I'm saying? Like... Oh, man, I, uh, I travel a lot. I'm in airplanes all the time. One thing about being in airplanes, you get to meet some interesting people and just all different sorts of people. I remember uh, it's like when you're sitting by them, it's like at some point in time in the conversation, like it always shifts because they ask you, like, what do you do for a living or whatever. I remember one time I was sitting by a guy on a flight going to Detroit. He looked like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty. Man. And so I'm sitting by Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty, and we're on the flight. About five minutes in to the flight, Uncle Cy looks up and says, guess what? One of my best friends is black. Just for the record, for all my non-black brothers and sisters, you don't have to let a black person know that you know another black person. You know what I'm saying? Like, he might as well say, hey, one of my best friends is black. I even own a pair of black boots. In my house, we watch a colored TV. You know what I'm saying? No, you ain't got to let a brother know that you know another brother. So... <laughs> Enough with that. Let's go ahead and and get into the Word. I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for the time that we're going to look at in Scripture. Again, Mark 10, uh, we're going to begin around verse 46. I'm going to read the text in its entirety, but I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for the time that we're looking at in Scripture. Uh, You have Jericho, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And what would happen is, as Galilean Jews were on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the Holy City, what they would do is they would take a detour around Samaria, they would pass through Perea, and they'd come along on the Jordan's east side. And the very last part of their journey up to the Holy City, what they would do, they'd go up this very, very steep hill before they would get to the Holy City. How many of you guys know that's a whole sermon within itself? Sometimes you got to go up a very, very steep hill, or in other words, you need to go through something in order to get to something. Let, let me say that again. Sometimes you got to go through something in order to get to something. And, and, and so what would happen is, is these Galilean Jews were on their pilgrimage. This blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, he thought that he would try to tap into the generosity of these Galilean Jews that were on their journey. So he would find himself on the side of the road begging. So as they were on their way and on this journey, Bartimaeus would find himself on the roadside with a tin like this just sitting here begging. And that's all he would do. He would sit there and beg. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the the story of this blind man that we all know by the name of Bartimaeus. And we're going to look at his life. And Bartimaeus' life is going to show us how we can see all that God wants for us. And I'm telling you, if you want your 2016 to be amazing, just listen to the words and listen to the story of this blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And so what I want to do is I want to read the text in its entirety. I'm going to come back and unpack it verse by verse. It's okay, we just preach the Bible tonight. Is that okay? Okay, make sure y'all still with me. Verse 46. Here's what the text says. We're going to read in the NIV version. Then they came to Jericho As Jesus and his disciples were together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight. And follow Jesus along the road. Won't he do it? We could close our Bibles right there. We could all go home for the evening. That's all we need to hear. But I really feel like that, that God wants to unpack something so that we can see the big picture. But it's amazing that we're going to see the big picture by looking through the eyes of this blind man. And so it's about making sure that we, that we have our priorities straight. Making sure that we're focusing on the right thing so we can see what God has for us. So we can see and experience some breakthroughs in our life. I mean, you, th you think about it. How many of you guys, uh, by a show of hands, have ever wouldn't had an eye exam? Eye exam, the eye doctor, eye doctor. Okay, many of you guys have. I Man, I go get an eye exam all the time. When you get an eye exam, you know, you go to the eye doctor and you're sitting there and, and you go and then what they do, they put the lens in front of you and they click and they're like, do you like A or do you like B? Okay, let's go back. Do you like A, B, or C? And you're like, okay, go back. Do you like number one or two? And I'm like, me, I'm like, I just want to get it right. No, go back, I want to see it. Like A or B? One or two or three. And you're clicking. No, click it back. Click. And what's happening is what the eye doctor is doing is he's making some clicks and he's making some turns because he wants you to be able to see 2020. And so I'm going to tell you this right now. If you want things to be different in your life, you're going to have to make some clicks. You're going to have to make some turns. You're going to have to make some adjustments. It's not just going to happen by you sitting there not doing anything different. So the question you need to be asking yourself tonight is, what are the clicks that I need to make? What are the turns that I need to make? What are the adjustments that I need to make? Because some of you guys, you're sitting here like, I want to see what you have for me. But you're sitting there doing the same thing and you're not making any clicks. And you're not making any adjustments. And through the eyes of this blind man, I'm here to tell you tonight, you need to make some clicks. And you need to make some adjustments. I know tonight there's some people that's going to make some clicks for the very first time. And at the end of 2016, it's going to be the most amazing year that you ever have because you're making some clicks. And you're making some turns, and what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to drop some stuff. As a matter of fact, turn around to your neighbor and say, you need to drop some stuff. Now, I want you to turn around to your other neighbor, the one that clearly wasn't your first choice. Turn around to your second choice neighbor. I want you to turn around to your other neighbor and say, you need to drop some stuff. It's okay. Yeah, tell them, yeah. No, I, I, wasn't, I know I wasn't first, you know what I'm saying? Everybody look at me and say, you need to drop some stuff. Say, you better drop some stuff. Say, drop some stuff. Say, drop it like it's hot. No, no, we don't be saying, we don't. Dropping it like it's hot in church, y'all tripping. You know what I'm saying? Like, the title of tonight's message is Drop It. Everybody say, Drop It. So, we're gonna look at the three things you need to drop if you wanna see some breakthrough in your life. Three things that you need to drop if you want 2016 to be amazing. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this thing down. The first thing you need to drop is you need to drop your care. Everybody say drop your care. 
Come on, you can do better now. Everybody say, drop your care. So let's read verse 46 through 48, see what I'm talking about. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a what? With a, a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as he's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did the large crowd start to do? Hey, blind man, shut up, blind man. You tripping, Jesus. Hey, man, will somebody tell this blind man to shut up? Hey, blind man, you better hush. Jesus, blind man, will somebody get this blind man? This blind man is tripping. He better get information. Like, what is wrong with this cat? He is tripping. What's wrong with this blind man? Blind man, shut up. You are tripping, dog. Quit yelling at Jesus. He doesn't want to talk to you right now. And that's what the large crowd was doing. That's the, the new NIV version. You know what I'm saying? That's the Negro International version, you know what I'm saying? Like, Lord forgive me, but uh, here's what the real NIV says, very similar, very similar. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was there, and he knew that he was about to experience a breakthrough. He felt it, and so he started shouting, and he was getting ready to experience breakthrough. And what happens when you're getting ready to experience breakthrough? The haters start to come out because they know that you're getting ready to experience breakthrough. Don't worry about the haters. Don't listen to the haters. And that's what Bartimaeus, he wasn't going to listen to the large crowd. Bartimaeus learned that the same thing that a, that a good symphony conductor understands or a great choir director understands, they understand this, that sometimes what you got to do if you want to see what God has for you, you got to turn your back to the crowd. And you got to turn your back to the crowd so you can focus on what Jesus has for you. And some of you, you're just facing the crowd and you're trying to please the crowd. But what he's saying is turn your back to the crowd and focus on what Jesus has for you. Don't listen to the crowd. And that's what Bartimaeus did. Because what you need to understand is that People only throw shade on things that are hot. Let, let, let me say that again. If you're experiencing some shade right now, you're experiencing some shade in your life, know that, that people only throw shade pastor on things that are hot. So take it as a compliment. You know what I'm saying? But we really care what people think. I mean, we live our lives because we really care what people think. And some of you are thinking, oh, I don't care what people think. Yes, you do. You really care what people think. I mean, you live your life. That's how you live your life. You live your life because you really care what people think. So I'm talking about drop your care. I'm talking about dropping care on what people think. And something like, Pastor, I don't care what people think. Yeah, you do. It's almost like every single one of us, like we walk around and you walk around holding this piece of paper. Some of you in your pocket, ladies, many of you got it in your purse. And this is what it reads. I really care what people think. Some like, I don't care what people think. Yes, you do. Some of you college students, you're majoring in a major only because that's what your parents wanted you to major in. I mean, some of you are, are in a job only because you, you don't want to leave because you're worried about what people think. Some of you are in a relationship that you know is not God's best, but the reason why you're in that relationship is because you care what people think. I'm telling you, some of you, I'm going to be honest with you, some of you drove up here tonight in a car that you can't afford be trying to please people that don't even matter because you're doing it because you care what people think. 
Some of you are in debt up to your eyeballs because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses don't even care about you. I'm telling you this, that's what you got to understand. You can't worry about what people think. And some of you are like, oh, pastor, yeah, they care what people think, but I don't care what people think. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I mean, think about it. So when you get ready to take that selfie, what do you do? I mean, social media tells it all. What do you do? You, you get that phone out and you're getting ready to take that selfie and, and you take the phone out and you're, you're getting ready to take that selfie. You got to make sure that things are just right. And you get ready to take that selfie and then you try to get it right. And you're like, okay, I think I got this. I'm ready, ready to take this selfie. And then, and then what you got to do, like, man, that's not right. Then you got to stick your arm way out because... Because that makes you look skinnier, you know what I'm saying? It makes you look skinnier. That makes you look skinnier. Then you, and some of your arms ain't long enough, so you got a selfie stick. You know what I'm saying? And so you do it, and the next thing you know, you take that selfie, you take the selfie, then you look at it, and you wonder how it looks, then you ask your friend, what do you think about that? I don't know about how it looks. I think I need to lighten it up a little bit. I'm not that dark, you know what I'm saying? And then, matter of fact, I, I think I, then I'm going to put 10 filters on it. I'm going to put 10 filters on it. I'm going to post it on Instagram, hashtag, I woke up like this, hashtag, no filter. You didn't wake up like that. You didn't wake up like that. You ain't fooling nobody. You woke up with makeup on, you know what I'm saying? And the reason you do that is because you're worried about what people think. If we continue to focus on what people think, we'll lose sight of what God thinks. Because we're so focused on what people think that we'll lose sight of what God thinks. And I'm telling you this, you think about, you're like, well, I don't have this, or I can't do this, or I don't have it like that. Bartimaeus, he couldn't see, but he could get up on his feet, and he could run, and he could yell out, and he could call on the name of Jesus. So quit focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you do have. Because God has given every single one of you amazing gifts, but you spend so much time trying to compare yourself to other people. You're looking at their social media and you're comparing your everyday ordinary life to their highlight reels. You've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop focusing on what people think. Because what's going to happen is as you continue to grow and move and, and you're going to be a little bit skittish and scared and, and what you know is that you're going to continue to have success. You're going to continue to experience breakthrough. And as you reach new levels, understand that you're going to get new devils. That's just how it happens. As you continue to elevate, that's what's going to happen. Every single one of us. As a matter of fact, as you talk about worrying about what people think, I'm just going to get real open and honest with you guys. I haven't always been a minister. I haven't always had the opportunity to go around the world and and preach the gospel. I haven't always had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500 CEOs. As a matter of fact, I spent a large number of my adult years in the prison system. 12 years, 22 days, and eight hours to be exact. Eight by 10 cell, pinned up anger, bad food, razor wire, prison. I was a warden in the prison system. You guys can breathe. Man, if you see the looks on some of your faces, some of you's like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And there was another group that's like, what's Pastor Steele doing with a convict in the pulpit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying. Well, here's the deal. True story. At the age of 25, I was one of the youngest prison wardens in the country. And I didn't know at that time that God was going to use my time as a prison warden to prepare me for ministry. And here's what I quickly learned, that there's a lot of similarities between prison and the church. And the biggest difference is, is we get the opportunity to go home. And the biggest difference between them and many of us 
is we didn't get caught. A brother felt like he got a gunshot at that time. I don't know what that clicking was. I'm like, brother, like, Mike just feeding back. But here's the thing. That's the deal. The biggest difference between them and many of us is we didn't get caught. And so here's the deal. But as a 25-year-old prison, my peers were all 55. And they were all like, this is stupid. Because the average prison warm was about 55, 60 years old. And they, they were all telling my boss, like, this is going to be a disaster. Why would you put a kid in charge of a prison? That's, that's serious. That's crazy. What are you thinking about? And I remember once in a while I just started kind of questioning. I was kind of worried about what people think. Maybe they're right. Maybe this is kind of a disaster. And I remember talking to my business manager, Pastor, and, I, and I'm having a conversation with her name, Dana Abed. She said, she said, Scott, here's what you need to understand. No, you don't have 25 years of experience like everybody else does. You've only lived for 25 years. But let me tell you something. I've been in the workforce for over 33 years. I've worked for all types of bosses. And what you need to understand is this, is you bring the most godly leadership of anybody that I've ever seen. And that's why people respect you here. You can't worry about what people think. You need to focus on what God thinks. And at that moment, I really felt like that she planted a seed in me for what God was going to do. And that's the same seed that I'm planting in you tonight. You can't worry about what people think. Here's the deal. Let me tell you, your past doesn't define you. Your situation doesn't define you. And definitely not what people think about you defines you. Let me tell you what defines you, and that's what God says about you. And what does God say about you? He says that you're an heir to Christ. He says that you're more than a conqueror. He says that you can do all things, not some things, all things through Christ who gives you strength. So don't worry about what people think. Focus on what God thinks. Let me tell you what your problem is. You worry about everything, and you don't truly seek God for anything. If you're worrying about everything, that means you're not seeking God. Because when, 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 you, when you begin to seek God, you will stop worrying. And it's amazing what happens when you begin to seek God. Some amazing things start to happen in your life. I mean, think about it. They're like, oh, blind man, this blind man is tripping. I mean, the, the large crowd, some of, some of you, that's what people are saying to you right now. Blind man, you got issues. And I love what Bartimaeus probably said to me. He's like, yeah, I got issues, but I'm about to connect to the one who can cancel my subscription. You know what I'm saying? I might have some issues, but I'm about to connect to the one who can cancel my subscription. That's what you need to do. You, need to, you have the ability to do that, to tap into God. And some people are going to tell you what you can't do. And because, it's because of their insecurities. Be confident anyway, because God wants you to be confident. So again, the first thing you got to drop is you got to drop your care. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you need to drop is you need to drop your cloak. Everybody say, drop your cloak. Drop your cloak. Here's what the Bible says, verse 49 and 50. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. His cloak looked just like this. It was his outer garment. It looked like this. This was his cloak. And so he had his cloak on. And here's what, here's what was significant about the cloak. In this time, if, in order for you to be a beggar, a beggar was an occupation. You actually had to go in front of the elders of the time, and they had to give you permission and say, oh, you know, he actually does have an illness. He does, have, he does need to be able to beg. And he would wear this cloak that looked like this. So it signified to the people that this is legitimate. So when he said he got up and threw off his cloak, he was throwing off the one thing that had given him permission to be able to tap into some finances. He basically was giving up his occupation. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to throw my cloak and I'm going to run to Jesus. 
and his cloak. Think about it. He's a blind man. He's sitting there begging, and, and, and he's begging, and so people are walking by, and, and as they're throwing coins, or they're throwing coins there, and he would use his cloak, and he would kind of catch some of the coins, and he would, he would throw them in there. You think about it, you can't see, and so this cloak, what it would represent is it represented like a comfort zone for him, and so he would sit there and be begging, and, and so the cloak, just think about the cloak as a comfort zone, and so he's under his comfort zone. He's sitting there with the cloak, and he's sitting there begging. And they're throwing him coins and he's catching them on here. You think about it, this is this is a very comfortable position for him. So when we're talking about dropping your cloak. We're talking about getting outside of your comfort zone. We're talking about dropping your comfort zone. Because every single one of you has a comfort zone. Every single one of us has a comfort zone. Once you think about like what is your what is your comfort zone? Like what is that comfortable thing that you're holding on to? What is your comfort zone? Because we all have comfort zones. I mean, speaking of comfort zones, I, I told you I, I fly a lot, so I'm, I'm always in an airplane. I'll just be real honest with you. Before I started flying so much, I didn't really care about first class. I didn't really care about that extra leg room. But, but now that I'm in an airplane so much, I'll be honest with you, that extra six inches of leg room and that extra wide seat, when I get upgraded that, that's from Jesus. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care what you say, brother. I'm like, man, I, I ain't got time to be all tight in here. And so, uh, and when you're in first class, you, you meet lots of interesting people. I remember one time I got on a flight. I was on my way to San Diego, and I get on the flight, and I'm on Periscope. It's this live streaming app, and I'm sitting there recording, and, and normally when I'm doing that, people just look at me like, who is this random dude, like, talking to himself, and what is he recording? And, and I remember I, I got on the flight this time, and I sat by a guy, and he looks at me and says, hey, are, are you on Periscope? I'm like, yeah. So we started having a conversation about it again. It's always that point in time where they ask, like, what do you do for a living? And generally, the conversation changed, so I told him what I did for a living, asked him what he did, and he, he told me that he was the global brand director for Nike. How do you know what goes through your mind when you're sitting next to the global brand director for Nike? Hook a brother up with some shoes, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> over the years, I've learned to capture those thoughts, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't say it, but I thought it, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we're sitting there having a conversation. As we're having a conversation, he began to tell me a little bit of his story. And as he told me his story, I, I, he, he said it this way. He said, you know, I was, uh, I was in San Diego, and I was, I was going to dinner with a big group of my friends, and it was like 17 of us, a really large crowd. And while we're at dinner, I remember sitting down at the, the end of the table, and as I'm looking at all my friends, and, and I'm just sitting here kind of reflecting, I, I realized that there were 17 people, and there were eight couples, and it was me. And he said, I, I took a survey of my life and realized that I got very comfortable and I got very complacent. And I said, you know what? I need to change and I need to shift that. And it was at that point that I said, I'm going to get outside of my comfort zone. So I started applying for different positions. I said, you know what? No matter where, I, I'm just wanting to do something different. I need to get outside of my comfort zone. And one thing led to the next. He ended up uh, going through like a nine-month interview process with Nike. It was a whole long process. They eventually offered him the job. And the, and the important part is not this, not that he got the job at Nike. The thing is this, is that because he was willing to get outside of his comfort zone, that's how he was able to experience breakthrough. I mean, think about your pastors. What if they stayed in their comfort zone five locations ago? Many of you, your lives would be awful different. But because they continue to get out of their comfort zone, they continue to experience breakthrough. And that's what you need to do. Because some of your comfort zone is, is alcohol. Some of you, it's drugs. Some of you, it's prescription drugs. Some of you, it's relationships. You don't care if it's a good one or a bad one. You just want to be in one. 
Some of your comfort zone is money and spending money that you don't have trying to please people that don't matter. Some of your comfort zone is insecurity and don't think that you're good enough. Every single one of you has a comfort zone. You'll never hear a story of greatness that came from a comfort zone. So if you want to experience a miracle, if you want to experience breakthrough, you have to get out of your comfort zone. Can I pray something over every single one of you tonight? I pray that God makes your comfort zones really uncomfortable. If your comfort zone is alcohol, I pray that the bottle busts in front of you this week. If your comfort zone is people, is pleasing people and, and getting compliments from people, I pray that you don't get another compliment for the next six months. If your comfort zone is, is your eyes wandering off and looking at things that you're not supposed to, I pray that your, every computer you get for the next month breaks down and you have to keep buying more. Whatever your comfort zone is, I don't care whatever it is, if it's, for, if it's maybe it's just stuck in your job and you're spending so much time at work, I pray that your kids come up to you for the next two weeks and just say, Mom and Dad, will you spend some more time with me? Or, or, or if you know you're supposed to be a stay-at-home mom and you're, and you're working and working and working, I pray that your kids just say, Mom, would you please stay home? Would you please spend more time with me? Whatever your comfort zone is, I pray that God makes it really uncomfortable. I pray that you wake up in cold sweats through the rest of the week. And I'm not praying that over you to be crass. I'm praying that over you because I know this. If you want to experience breakthrough and blessing, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. I don't care what you're dealing with, my friends. Nothing great ever came from a comfort zone. So you got to drop your care. You got to drop your cloak or your comfort zone. And the last thing you need to drop is you need to drop your cup. Verse 51 and 52, here's what the text says. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. Your faith then immediately, know that it's not the other way around. Your faith has healed you then immediately he received his sight. Again, know that it's not the other way around. You think about it. The woman with the issue of blood, your faith has healed you. Jairus' daughter, your faith has healed you. All throughout the Bible, you'll see miracles with Jesus. It's faith, then immediately. Faith, then immediately. So what you need to do is you need to increase your faith. Because what happens is, is when you connect your faith with your, with your deficiencies, that's what's going to propel you into your destiny. So again, it's faith plus deficiency is a propel into your destiny you got to have faith. you got to increase your faith. So you think about all the things that you need to drop. Like what does this cup represent? For Bartimaeus, you had all these people that were coming around and, and giving him information. And, and this is the point in the sermon where someone will play keys behind me to make me sound a whole lot more spiritual. You know what I'm saying? Like, do that. It's all these things you're holding on to. All these things that you don't need. But what you have to understand is this. Faith is what's key. Having a strong faith isn't going to remove your problems. It will remove their power and influence over your life. Let me say that again. I think some of you missed that. Having a strong faith, it's not going to remove your problems, but it will remove their power and influence over your life. Because God is not moved by the size of your situation. God is moved by the size of your faith. 
I mean, you think about what you're facing today. You're, you're, you're facing some insurmountable odds. Stage four cancer. A, a son or daughter that's run from the Lord that's so far from God. Many of you may be in here tonight. You've been doing the whole church game and been doing the church thing. But if you're being honest, you know you hadn't truly had the faith to surrender it all to Jesus. Thinking about when I was a prison warden, the first facility that I ran was a maximum secure juvenile facility. And basically what we did, we had the worst of the worst juveniles in our state. They were juveniles that committed adult crimes, but if they completed our program, they wouldn't be what we call bridged to the adult system. If they didn't complete our program, they'd be bridged over. And so we just had the worst of the worst. I remember uh, we had this one kid that they called us to see if we would take, and this kid's name was Lando. And Lando at the Oklahoma County Detention Center had already um, fractured three staff members' jaws and had assaulted a number of other residents. And these are kids that had rape, murder, the harsh, the harsh crimes. And they called us and said, will you take Lando and get him a 25-year-old kid? Like, go ahead and send us Lando. And they sent us Lando. I remember Lando got to our facility and we met him in the reception area. And I go back there and I, just kinda, I like to kind of throw down the rules. This is kind of how we roll in our facility. I said, Lando, this is what we expect of you. I know this is what you did in the past. He just, he just looks at me and says, Warden, I don't care what you say. He said, this is another rodeo for me. He said, I've been in and out of facilities since I was nearly eight years old. He said, I'm going to do what I want to do. We just kind of agreed to disagree. And it was several months into our facility before we, we finally began to see some disruptions from Lando. I remember one time we got a code violation to go down to our, our classroom area. And as I walk in the classroom, Lando was squared up, getting ready to fight a teacher. And all the other residents are around him. He's sitting there, and he's like, he's, I'm, I'm going to sock somebody. As soon as you step up, I'm going to sock somebody. And I remember the, the situation. And so what we did is I said, Lando, we need to step out of here. Me and one of the other counselors were in there. I said, you need to step out of this situation. And that's kind of a, a key and a principle in life. Here's what I understood. If I wanted to be able to see some de-escalation, I needed to remove him from the situation. And some of you guys, if you want to see some de-escalation in your life and what you're experiencing, you need to remove yourself from that situation. And sometimes it's family. And sometimes it's friends. And sometimes it's a job. You know what it is, but that's what you got to do. And so we got Lando out of the classroom, and we went to one of the counselor's offices. We were sitting there having a conversation with him, and we began to talk to him. And the more we began to talk to him for the first time, we saw this rough and tough onion begin to peel back some layers. And what we found out about Lando was this. Lando was 13 years old, and he couldn't read. As a matter of fact, he read at less than a first grade reading level. So think about this. There's this kid's situation. All of his life, he would go into school and he'd go into a classroom. He was very street smart. He'd go in the classroom and they, they, he was worried that they would find out that he couldn't read. And so what would he do? He would get in a fight. He would assault somebody. And as he did that, they would throw him in detention. They would suspend him. There's never any cycle of being in a boys' home, being in a group home, being in a facility. And that was his life story. We began to work with Lando and over the course of the next 18 months he was in our facility, he began to read at about a sixth grade reading level. And so here's the deal. Everybody was telling what Lando needed was he needed more psychotropic drugs. He needed to be in a more secure facility. He needed to be this. He needed, that's not what he needed. He needed to know how to read. 
And everybody's telling Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, you need this. You need that. Let me give you some coins. Let me give you some advice, blind man. Let me tell you what you need to do. That's what Bartimaeus didn't need. He didn't need that. What he needed, he needed to see. And many of you are chasing after things that you think you need. But I'm telling you, those are not the things that you need. What you need can be found right here. And what you need, his name is Jesus. So quit trying to chase after this stuff. That's not what you need. What you need is Jesus. I'm telling you, you're chasing after stuff that doesn't matter. You're going after things that don't matter. Just like Lando, that's not what you need, my friends. You need Jesus. So I'm telling you this. You're holding on to some stuff today. And some of you guys, you're holding on worried about what people think. You need to drop your care. You need to say, I don't care what you think. I'm dropping my care and I'm leaving it there. And some of you are still sitting in your comfort zone. You feel it. But what God is here to tell you tonight is you need to get out of that comfort zone and you need to drop your cloak. You said, I don't care if this is my occupation. I don't care if this is what I've always known. I'm going to drop my care. I'm going to drop my cloak. And the last thing you need to drop, you're holding on to it. It represents all the stuff, all the stuff that you thought you needed, all the stuff that you think you needed, you're holding on to it. You need to drop your care. You need to drop your cloak, but you need to drop your cup. Because here's what God is telling you today, my friends. He sent me thousands of miles to simply tell you this. I got something amazing for you. I got something awesome for you, but I can't put it in your hands. Sir, I can't put it in your hands because you're holding on to all this stuff. Couples, I can't put this into your marriage because you're holding on to this stuff, it's the past. I, I, I can't put it in your hands because you're holding on to unforgiveness, things that happened to you in the past. And when you're holding on to the unforgiveness, it's putting a, a block in between you and the blessing that God wants to give you. When you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean that they're off of God's hook, they're off of your hook, but that doesn't mean that they're off of God's hook. So you gotta forgive. What are the things that you're holding on to tonight? God is telling you, you need to drop them because I have something amazing for you, but I can't put it in your hands because you're holding on to this stuff. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, I pray right now for your sons and daughters that are under the sound of my voice. God, I pray right now for those that are holding on to stuff, God. I pray right now that they would begin to drop some stuff. For those that are in this room right now and you want to go before God and say, God, I know there's some things in my life that I need to drop. I want you to raise your hand across this room if you feel like there's some things that you need to drop. Some, I, here's the deal. I know there's more people that need Some of you, what you might need to drop is some pride because I can't believe that there's, this, there's some people that still got their hands down. There's not some things that you need to drop in your life. Every single one of us got some stuff that we need to drop. God, I pray right now for your sons and daughters that are raising their hand. Lord, I see the chains of addiction are being broken right now, Lord. I see marriages that are hanging on by a thread being mended right now, Lord. I see students that are going into their, their classrooms. I see college students that are making a difference, Lord. I see people that have cancer, Lord. I see healing happening right now, Lord. I see people that are insecure being confident in all that you can do in and through them, God. God, release your sons and daughters, Lord. Let them step into all that you have for them. Let them see what you want for their lives. As we're still praying with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you can put your hands down now. The most important part of the sermon. I just want to get real right now. Because there's so many of you, you're in this room tonight. To be honest with you, if life were to end today, 
you don't know that you spend eternity in heaven. I'm not asking you like Pastor Steele's messages. Have you read your Bible? Have you sang a Christian song? Have you sang a gospel song? I'm asking you, have you ever truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Because my friends, here's what I know. It's, it's the saddest thing ever. It's so many people are gonna miss heaven by 12 inches. They have a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart acceptance. And I'm telling you right now, tonight's the night that many of you are gonna step across that spiritual line. You'll say, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of playing the church games. I, I'm, I'm sick of doing that stuff. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. You say, yeah, I want to know without a shadow of a doubt if life were to end today that I spend eternity in heaven. So if you're here right now and say, I'm tired of playing the church game. Tonight is the night that I wanna step across that spiritual line. I wanna invite Jesus to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to wash my sins away. If that's you right now, right where you are, raise your hand real high right now and keep it up. Just I see you right there, ma'am. Others of you, others of you. You're making, I see you, ma'am. Welcome to the family of God. Others of you, others of you, right back here in the back, I see you. Far back left, I see you there.